Our pericope of scripture is taken from the Psalms, Psalm 91. My Bible, the title over goes, The Security of the Godly. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust, and his truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, no evil shall befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Verses 1 and 2 are my text this evening. But if you look carefully before you put your Bibles away, you'll notice how this psalm is really divided up into three parts. In verse 1 and 2, the psalmist is speaking of himself and his own experience. And in verse 3 through 13, he is speaking to God's people. That they too have that same security in God. And then in verses 14 through 16, you have God responding to Moses, and to God's people who are in Christ Jesus, what he will do for them. May the Lord add his blessing upon the reading and the preaching of his word again this evening. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, in this psalm, we are taught that God watches over the safety of his people, and God never never fails them, no matter what dangers, what threatened, so that you and I can engage in the advance in our pilgrimage through all kinds of peril and troubles and threats, secure. 
secure in the confidence of God's protection. What a powerful truth that we may, no, let me say, what a powerful truth that we must use in our lives. And I say that because many will talk about God's providence, and they even believe that God does exercise a special guardianship over his own children, but few, few are found actually willing to trust their safety to God. They'll look for all other kind of things to make them secure. Are you? Willing to trust your safety in God. Oh, the safety and oh, the happiness that result from the knowledge of God and of his promises. And may we then exercise a steadfast dependence upon God's promise and God's grace. And oh, what a dead soul. What a dead soul whether to these heavenly and spiritual delights of those who fail to be impressed with this truth. Those who look somewhere else for their safety and for their security rather than in the triune God. No peace, no tranquility of mind to those who trust in themselves or in worldly things. We have in verses 1 and 2 a spirit-inspired confession of faith. It is a man who teaches these things because he himself has experienced these things. And that is necessary if one wants to be a teacher whether you as fathers and mothers to your children or to discipling a, discipling a neighbor or for elders and deacons in the church. We cannot communicate true knowledge unless we deliver it not merely with our lips, but as something that God has already established in our own hearts and lives. In verse 2 of this psalm, if you have your Bible still open, he says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Who is that man that has that experience and now is teaching God's people? As you look at the top of that psalm, it doesn't say, does it? But Psalm 91 follows Psalm 90, and in Psalm 90 we see that it is a song, a prayer of Moses. And many of the thoughts and the words are directly linked together in these two psalms. God being our dwelling place, abiding under his shadow, finding our habitation in him. Moses. Think a moment, boys and girls, of his life. Maybe four, maybe max five years, in, he is in his home, his parents' own safe home, and then he is sent over to the courts of Pharaoh to be schooled. 
And he believes at that point he is ready to take up the task to be the deliverer of God's people. And so when an Egyptian is whipping one of the Hebrews, he kills that Egyptian. He thought he was going to deliver that Israelite. And the next day it comes back to bite him, doesn't it? When he separates two fighting Hebrews, they say, what are you going to do to us? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And so Moses now has to flee for his life for 40 years out there in the wilderness taking care of some dumb sheep. What a preparation for him to be a leader of God's people. So that after 40 years, he comes back to Egypt to the task that God calls him to. And he has to deal then with that Pharaoh in all of his anger and resistance to the plagues that are ushered. And he comes back to Egypt then to deliver them finally out of Egypt, and 40 years he deals with them in the wilderness, a stiff-necked and rebellious people. He has to lead them through the wilderness where there is not much water, where there is nothing to eat, and where there are enemies that creep up on their backside, attacking the weakest of the people in the train. Moses knew what it was to fight terrors. Terrors from the wicked or even from amongst those who are named as God's people. But he not only knows the terrors that he faces, he also knows the all-sufficient care of the Most High God. What heavenly medicine that is for God's people, especially when we go through troubles and fears and sorrows in our life. God's word to us is the same as it was to his Old Testament people, fear not. Fear not, no matter what the circumstances are in your life. Fear not because God reigns from his throne and God's eye is upon all of his people. He knows their needs. Moses knows that there is a secret place to dwell in, to abide under the shadow of the heavenly Father. There he and you and I will find rest, peace, and joy. So that's my theme, dwelling in the secret place. Notice, first of all, that secret place, what it is. Notice, second of all, then, our dwelling there in that secret place. And then thirdly, our satisfaction, our peace, our rest our joy. So first point, our secret place. I said that verses 1 and 2 of Moses' speech here are a beautiful and a powerful expression of faith. And that must be the description of every believer. They have a secret place that they may run to. A couple of weeks ago, I was by our youngest daughter's house, 
And the youngest one of our 22 grandchildren said to me, Grandpa, Grandpa, I have to show you my secret place. And she takes me by the hand, leading me down to the basement, going to the closet underneath the stairs, going past the Christmas stuff that is stored there to where the little kids were sitting and playing together under the first platform in those stairs going downstairs. Boys and girls, what secret place do you have if you are afraid or if you just want to be alone or even perhaps if you want to escape because you know your dad and mom are going to ask you to do something? What is your secret place? With the tornadoes that came whipping through our country in the last couple months, people would have to seek a safe place from that storm, and many of them didn't have a basement, and so they would huddle themselves in the bathtub in the bathroom. Or other parents trying to go away from the stress of life, the problems of life, like to go out in the field hunting or down by the stream fishing, or mothers in the church like to find a room where they can sew material together or maybe read a book. Looking for a safe place. Why? Are there those things that keep you up at night thinking, pondering, fearing, filled with anxiety? How, I'm, how am I going to face my boss tomorrow? Is my job going to continue? With the recession that we seem to be going into, will my stock market help and stay safe? Or if I put my money in bonds, what's going to happen to them during these days? Looking what is going to help me, looking to the future, what is going to be holding me up? But over against those minor things, and I call them minor things, although they might not seem that way in your life, we need a safe place because we have enemies out there, out to get us in their hate, in their hatred of God and God's cause. Boys and girls from catechism, you do know, don't you, those three mortal enemies that believers have to face all of their life here in the world. The devil, who was unable to snatch up the woman who was pregnant with a child, namely Mary and Jesus. Unable to get his hands on Jesus, he now goes after his church. And our passage talks about don't be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. Yes, the devil is aiming with his darts or his arrows for us in our lives to snare us away. And there is that wicked world that we live in that is only becoming more and more immoral and rebellious against God. And they say, come join us. They say to young people, why would you wait till marriage in order to enjoy sex? It's fun. 
And of course, the temptations of the world are always pleasures to our flesh. So you've got Satan, you have the world as an enemy. And the greatest enemy, I believe, is not those two, but is that old sinful nature in us that is allured to the pleasures of the world. As the Israelites were lured by the pleasantness of the Midianite women just before they went into the land of Canaan, Balaam hoping that God would finally curse the people for their sexuality there with the Midianites. Mortal enemies. Where is a secret place that we may hide where we can find safety, where we can find protection? Moses was up there on the mountain, Mount Sinai, kept in a cleft of the rock when God passed by and he saw God's backside. And he was there on the Mount of Sinai, away from that rebellious people who had been murmuring ever since they got out of Egypt, even saying they wanted to go back. Later, in in verse 2, Moses calls that a refuge and a fortress. Some of you, do you look for safe places where trouble and where hatred can't reach you? Boys and girls, in books you've seen pictures of castles, haven't you? Big walls around that castle with towers in there where slits in the towers so that they can shoot uh, arrows at the enemies. And around that castle would be a complete moat, making it very hard to get into that castle. Or forts is the word that Moses used here, fortresses. And boys and girls, that little word fort is right in there. Forts that... For example, those who went out west, the army would build forts in order to protect the farmers and the people living nearby from attacks against, from the enemy. How great a need they, we, have to escape the trials, the temptations, the sins, the enemies, the problems, that face us individually as believers, as families, husbands and wives maybe having a lot of fights together or rebellious children. What a need we have as a church family to find this hidden or secret place with all the trials that have gone on lately. Professor Inglesma wrote in a letter to his family, these are trials by God, trials in order to strengthen our faith and our resolve to look to him. And then he wrote, these trials are probably giving us to strengthen us for the next trial that comes upon us. And haven't we seen that in these last years 
from the schism where people will not even talk to family members any longer, and now to the abuse that has been taking place in the church and even division coming in the church depending on how one votes on the issue of how we help those who have been abused. What storm shelter do you face individually then as families, as a church family, as a denomination? What storm shelter do you run for? Runners running away from the wrath of God for sin. Those running away from Satan's darts shot at us. Those running away from the grief of a long illness or a death or abuse. Oh, oh, to dwell in safety and securely. The the psalmist says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. The secret place, one secret place, not many different places that we look for. And oh, the utter insufficiency of any man-made fortress. You see, man cannot provide that kind of safety and security that we need. Those castles that were built were breakable at times. And those fortresses that were built did fall to the enemy. We need something more than that. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 146. Put not your trust in princes nor in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth, and in that day his thoughts perish. And over the against trusting in men, happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Is that your hope? Not man, for they are creatures of the dust. Their life is a vapor. Their strength is like the mist that's there in the morning and soon dries up underneath the sun. Will you depend upon friends to hold you up? And we have seen how many families have been broken up and friends broken apart when under the pressure of trouble, haven't we? There's no true help in man's strength. Isaiah 40, verse 30, we read, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. So not man-made help. Where does the psalmist point us? And the answer is up. He points our eyes up. Eyes away from things here below. Lift your head. Lift your eyes to the most high God who reigns in heaven. There is a hiding place. There is a hiding place given for us. It is a hiding place given by him. A true safe. Unfailing soul. It is of the most high. The one true 
safe place. Let's narrow that focus a little bit. What is that secret place? It's not so much a place, although the psalmist is using that figure, we can find security there. It's not so much a place, it is a person. Or should I say, it is persons. And I'm talking about the three persons of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is that God's presence in our midst. For that God is not like the deist think of him as a God who is far away and uninterested. Yes, God is transcendent, but beloved, God is also imminent. He is with us always. He's with us. Do you listen to Elijah as he's laughing to the worshipers of Baal? Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's gone on a vacation. Cry louder. Our God is imminent. He is with us. A refuge, a fortress, a high tower. Our God always was that already in the Old Testament. But now, especially as we step into the New Testament, God with us. He sent his son, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. And Emmanuel means God with us. There for 33 years. Christ Jesus bumping elbows with his friends and those of the Jews, teaching them, doing miracles with them. And then, yes, God, Jesus Christ comes to his disciples in John 13, 14, 15, 17, because he's going to comfort them. Because now he is going to leave them, he's going to go back to heaven. And they're very sad. They're sad because Jesus had been with them, rubbing elbows with them, eating with them now for three years. And they could not imagine being without him. And yet Jesus says, it's for your advantage. Because when I come again to you, I will manifest myself to you. How is Jesus going to manifest himself to us? When's he coming? There's many people that look to that last day when Jesus will come and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. They ask us that too. But that's not what he was talking about there. He says, you have seen me with your eyes these three years, but I'm going to manifest myself. That is, I'm going to show you yourself to your eyes of your soul. I'm going to come to you in my spirit. And my spirit's going to dwell in you, and therefore I will dwell in you. And of course, Jesus comes to us, each of us at our death. As he sends, he comes down with his angels to carry his loved one, young or old, up to heaven with him. So that we don't sorrow as those with no hope, but we can rejoice in the death of a child of God, young or old, because they are now with Christ Jesus. And of course, the Lord Jesus comes to you and me every Sunday, doesn't he? When the pastor opens up God's word, when he is as an instrument, brings that word, it's Christ's word to us. And what a difference it is how we then listen on Sunday. 
Jesus, our God, came to us in Christ Jesus. And although Jesus bodily ascended into heaven, by his spirit and by his word, he is dwelling in us and among us, never absent. Psalm 31, verse 20, Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. May we experience that as a congregation. Experience that peace and that rest and that love from our God and from our fellow saints and not the strife of tongues, bitterness and hatred. Psalm 27, verse 5, For in the time of trouble he will hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. The psalmist there in Psalm 27 is connecting that safe place, that secret place, with the tabernacle that was built. Moses carried the dimensions for that tabernacle when he came down from Mount Sinai. There was that outer court with the altar there, the brazen altar that the people could come and worship and sacrifice their burnt offerings, their sin offerings. And then there was the large room in the tabernacle called the holy place where there was the lamp stand standing and where there was the table of showbread and where there was the altar of incense, a picture of their prayers going up to God in that incense and them being made the light of the Lord here in this world. And then there thirdly was the most holy place, that is, the holy of holies. And what was there, boys and girls? There was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant, there was the mercy seat of God. And on the mercy seat, there were the two cherubim with their wings spread out over it. And no one could come into that most holy place except once a year, the most high priest. And he could only come with the prayers of God's people with the shed blood, the sprinkled blood that he would put on the mercy seat. God was with them, for there was that cloud of glory called the Shekinah that came down upon that tabernacle, and God dwelt in the midst of all the tents of his people. The same glory that later on came down upon Solomon's temple. God with them never leaving them. Their prayers brought before God and God would hear those prayers because of the shed blood. God's gracious, covenant, protective presence in the midst of his people. Do you feel that, beloved, as a congregation? Do you feel that as families? Do you feel that as individuals when you bring your prayers, your troubles, your sins before God's throne? Yes, our safe place, our secret place is in the embrace of God our Father. His presence, his love, and his mercy.
the God who reconciles a stiff-necked, rebellious people to himself. Do you know that of yourself? God has reconciled you to himself by his son, Jesus Christ. Christ who came down to save sinners like us. Covering us up just like God covered Adam and Eve with animal skins. It was by shed blood. And you and I are covered with far better things than the Old Testament saints. Because those were pictures. We are covered with a perfect white garment of Christ righteousness. Amazing. Our sin, filthy rags ripped from off on us bathed in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then not found naked, but clothed with Christ's righteousness. That is what averts God's wrath for our sins. He covers us with his own righteousness. All of his work done for us so that we might be accepted of God in that secret place abiding under the shadow of his wings. What do you think, boys and girls? Is that safe place a better place than underneath the stairs in the back of a cupboard? Or maybe up in a tree? Or maybe running to a store to shop something so you feel better about yourself or out in the field shooting a deer? Better place than castles built with mighty stones with moats around them. And the question comes, because Moses is now speaking from experience, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Do you know that place? Do you experientially know God as your Father? Do you know God, our Father, as our reconciler through the blood of Jesus Christ? You see, we can know many things about God. We can know many things about Jesus Christ who came. But that's different. There is what we call dead orthodoxy. You could spit out the verses of the, of the Bible or spit out the different Lord's Days of the Catechism, but is it here? Do you know this God that is revealed in the scriptures in his son, Jesus Christ, do you know him as your Savior and as your Lord? The one that you may run to and be protected, sheltered in trials. When we're overwhelmed by troubles, either personally or as families or as a church home, bothered with sin and with cancer and with pain and with death, sheltered in the trials in the past and therefore having confidence in the troubles ahead. Because that is one certainty in life besides taxes and death, there will be troubles. There'll be troubles because we're sinners who live in a sinful world. There'll be troubles and trials because our God wants to increase our faith through those trials. A safe place, a secret place, 
God himself in his son, Jesus Christ. That brings me to my second point of the sermon, our dwelling there. You see, this hiding place is not only a refuge once in a while when there is a trouble in our life. There is peace and there is safety no matter where we are or what we're going through. It's not, the safe place is not opened up, up for us just once in a while for short visits. I love to get away from the howling winds and the cold during winter. I travel down to Florida. I love it there for a week or for two weeks. But then it's time to go back home back home where there is the family, back home where there is the work to do. Those are just short visits. Yep, they're reviving, but it's not the safe place. It's not the secret place of the Most High. Notice the psalmist says, he that dwells in the secret place, he abides under the shadow of the Almighty. Or verse 10, 9 we read, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. He's talking there about a house. And that verb to dwell is in the present tense. And the present tense there in the Hebrew has the idea of continual action. Day after day, hour by hour, week by week, year after year, we dwell there in the secret place underneath the shadow of the Almighty. God in his Son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, draws you and me and all of his own to himself and to that secret place because he is our shepherd our good shepherd who never leaves but cares for the sheep and the lambs of the congregation. That verb dwell is an important thing as we find it both in Psalm 90 and 91 because it's really the verb of the covenant. That's the essence of the covenant, isn't it? God as a triune dwells together wonderfully in peace, rest, working together, loving one another. And now God takes his people up into that kind of fellowship together. That's what a habitation is all about, a home. A home where the family members enjoy one another, they talk with one another, they share with one another. And that's exactly what God has given to us in his secret place in himself we are taken up. That's why worship is so beautiful, isn't it? Because of the dialogue that goes on. Have you thought of worship as dialogue? Some people want to call it a monologue. The preacher goes on and on and on. It's dialogue. Our God speaks to us. He begins the worship service, doesn't he? The first thing that you hear is, I love you, beloved in Jesus Christ. And then we respond with a doxology. He speaks to us in another passage of God's word and then we bring forth songs of praise and adoration. He speaks to us and we give of our gifts of our offering. 
He speaks to us and we pray to him. He speaks to us and we open our ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to his church. Dwelling together, living in God's presence. Notice with me, it is a permanent residence. Permanent. I was getting at that earlier a little bit by saying it's not just little visits that we make, that you boys and girls maybe make little visits to your parents, but to then thankfully go home again after a day or two days or three days. Permanent. Before Christ died, there was that thick veil that was from the top of the temple all the way to the floor. There was that veil so that people could only stay on the outside bringing their sacrifices, but they're sinners, and they could not come into the most holy place, the holy of holies, where God was dwelling because he's righteous. But what happened? What happened there at the death of Jesus on the cross? That veil was torn in two. There is now no separation between sinful people and the holy God because we are reconciled in Jesus Christ and we may go there directly to Christ. You don't have to go to some priest, but you bring your prayers, you bring your praise and adoration, you lay all of your sins down before your God, you thank him for what he has done for you, and then you petition him for the needs that you have. Oh, not only are we able to draw near, the truth really is, it is God, God by his spirit, drawing us, drawing us irresistibly to our God. There, abiding in the secret place, the, there's one place, only one place, God himself, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, abides under the shadow of the Almighty. What is that shadow of the Almighty and why should we like that idea of that shadow? Sometimes that word shadow is of scary things. I'm thinking of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff are with me. There's the shadow of death. And it hangs over every one of us, doesn't it? And some of you have experienced it this past week. But there's other shadows. Ah, oh, that burning sun out there in the wilderness. Imagine yourself in Delft Valley with the terrible heat, the sun burning down. God covers them with his cloud during the day. They are under the shadow of the Almighty, feeding and caring for them led by the pillar of fire at night. Or, this psalm also alludes to it, thou will keep me under the feathers. There's that beautiful picture in the Bible of the mother chicken. And there's a storm that the mother chicken spreads its wings over the little chicks. So that even, yeah, maybe the mother chicken it might be killed by the lightning or so, but the chicks are covered by the wings of their mother. 
or Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the plans of the tabernacle. Surely he must have been thinking about that most holy place, those wings of the cherubim over the mercy seat. The psalmist writes in Psalm 17, verse 8, Keep me as the apple of thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. So let's bring some application in this a moment. How do we abide underneath those shadows of that wings? For he who has God as his friend, he who wants to have this wonderful fellowship with God, walks with God and talks with God and makes God his shelter. You say, how do I do that? Of course, there are those who say that we don't do anything. That faith is not an activity. I hope to show you differently this morning or this evening. How do we dwell there in that secret place? By taking your Bibles in your hand and reading those promises of your God and then clinging to those promises. Read those promises of your God morning and evening. Morning before you go to work or to school and who knows what temptations are laying ahead of you. Cling that promise. God says, I will be with you. I will help you. Cling to it. And at the end of the night when you're anxious, okay, what about that job tomorrow? How about my kids? How about this? How about that? Cling to the promise. I will be with you. I will help you. I will save you. So we dwell there in that secret place, that safe place, by reading God's word individually. Your devotions, how are they doing? We're using this psalm for family visitation. And so a question as elders that we ask is, do you have devotions individually? Boys and girls, do you have your your devotions Dads and moms, do you have your individual uh, devotions where you can bring your secret sins out to him and he's not ashamed of you, but you're able to lay them at the cross? Do you have your family devotions? Fathers and mothers, are you teaching your children to begin their meals with prayer and end them with prayers, praying God's promises? Lord, you said, I believe it. Now show it to me. Give it to me. We dwell there in that secret place and underneath the shadow of the Almighty by faith, by a lively faith. Not dead orthodoxy, knowing the actions, but it doesn't affect you. But God's word dwelling in your hearts, you know your God and you know your Savior and your Lord and you are drawn to him. And you are able to say, no matter what happens in my life, as terrible as these things might be, I will not turn my back on you, Lord, but I will cling to your promises that you do give me all good things, you avert all evil, or turn it to my profit. God works all things for good to them that love him, who are the called according to his purpose. God and us in dialogue, beautiful dialogue, dwelling, abiding, 
finding there our habitation. Boys and girls, if I ask you this evening, where is your address? Please don't give me some street number. That's temporary. Where is your address? I'm underneath the shadow of the Almighty. My address is the secret place of the Most High God. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. Yes, I find my refuge, my address underneath the cross of Jesus Christ. Psalm 32, verse 7. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble, says the psalmist. Again, the psalmist says, Psalm 119, verse 114. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Under his wings, I'm safely abiding. Though the night deepens and the tempests are wild, still I can trust him. I know he will keep me. He has redeemed me. And I am his child. Is the Lord able to help? Is he your refuge? What does the Apostle Paul write there in Philippians chapter 4? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God is in the pauper. God doesn't have limited funds. He will supply all of your and my needs according to the riches of his glory. There's nothing that he can't do. Or I think of the Apostle Paul who was able to take his troubles and trials to the Lord. We read of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7 and following, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the message of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, not three prayers, but I think three different times in his life, he brought earnest prayer to the Lord that it might depart from me. And he, that is God, said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And how did then the Apostle Paul respond by God's grace and by faith? He says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I end, beloved, my sermon with our satisfaction. There's hiding place, secret place, shadow of the Almighty. And what does the Apostle Paul say, or what does the psalmist say, Moses I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Put your name in there. This is a personal confession of Moses. 
but put your name there. And then God answers you at the end of this psalm. Listen to this, verse 14 and following. Because he has set his love upon me. Did you ever hear some people say that faith doesn't have any activity? What nonsense. Because he, that means the child of God, has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. Second, because he has known me, known me by faith, I will set him up on high. Calling, activity of faith. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. When God's children are filled with this faith, looking and running and dwelling in the safe place in the Most High, the secret place, the shadow of the Almighty, God says, all's well. When you call to him, he'll answer. When you know him and look to him, he'll save you. Long life. Maybe not so long on our earthly pilgrimage as we saw at this poor 19-year-old boy, but long life. Because this is just the beginning. Just the beginning. Long life. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. We're going to dwell there forever and ever safely. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for this beautiful psalm of Moses. We're thankful for his personal experience in what a refuge thou art and is then able to come to God's people and urge them also to look to thee at all times. And we're thankful this evening that we are called to that activity. For there are many trials in the church. There are troubles in our lives. And the more the troubles, the more we realize how our God in Christ supplies richly all of our needs according to his glory. Then fill us then, O Lord, with that security, that safety, so that we go out of this place of worship. Wherever we are tomorrow and any day of the week, we look up and we say, this is my God, this is my Savior. I love him. Amen.